Welcome to The Great Indoors. And today, once again, yes, we're still here. We're in Barcelona, Spain. Not long to go now, amigos. But this is episode nine, and this is MWC 2023. And what a week we are continuing to have. Tiring week, by the way. There are nearly 100,000 people from across the industry and the world here to take part in, without any doubt, the biggest telecoms and technology show on the planet. Now, it's been an immense journey for us. It feels incredible to be here, to have crossed the Atlantic as the GSMA's official podcast sponsor for this unique show. We are spending the whole week in an amazing recording facility on the jaw-dropping Amdocs booth recording some fascinating conversations with the industry's biggest names. I've been joined and will be, continue to be joined by customers, analysts, partners, and Amdocs executives as we explore their stories and perspectives. As ever, I'm joined by my co-pilot and producer, Larissa Yee, as these special edition episodes continue to roll out every Thursday. Only two more to go after this one. So for today's episode, I'm joined by Chris Silberg, Research Manager for European Telecommunications at IDC, a key analyst partner of ours, and also Jeff Yee, the CEO of Airwave. And our conversations are incredible. Chris shares many interesting perspectives on what is happening in the industry. And as we stand on the cusp of some disruptive innovations that will change the world, like generative AI and the metaverse, how are we now better equipped to anticipate some of the potential negative consequences that come with such huge technological leaps? And then Jeff and I bring it home and we talk about some of the practical applications of 5G and what Airwave is doing, how it can help bridge the digital divide, and how's this return to normalcy in the post-pandemic world. So without further ado, buckle up and let's get started. So here we are, MWC 2023 from Barcelona, the great indoors. My guest right now, all the way from London, England, is Chris Silberberg, who's the research manager at IDC for EMEA, specifically on Telco Insights. Welcome to the great indoors, Chris. Thank you, Matt. It's great to be here, great to be in Barcelona, in the great indoors of the Fira. Excellent, excellent. And how's, uh, how are things, how's the week been so far? Uh, fair to say, it's been a bit busy. It's been um, busy. You know, getting to see everyone around the booths, going up and down from Hall 7 all the way back to Hall 1 and back and bouncing around. Also really invigorating because this is the one moment in the year when literally clients, friends, old colleagues... All, all get back together, yeah. All back together. Yeah. No, for me, coming over from Canada to see all you know British and European uh, colleagues that I used to work with, that's like one of the most incredible things right? yeah and it's the kind of thing where it really is just you're walking through the house and go whoa yeah 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 there yeah, you are like exactly. i had this about three times this morning already yeah 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 uh, does mean getting to meetings on time going to be a, a little bit of a problem but yeah. it's really worthwhile just for that, that personal interaction awesome awesome so for our listeners chris mm. give us a bit of a background on your history and your role at idc yeah so within the EMEA Telco Insights practice, we've got a core technology focus on telecoms, business support systems, the charging, the billing, and also the operational systems. So orchestration, automation, and that's 
probably the, the bed and butter on a, as from a technology perspective. But also we're tasked at looking that bigger transformation piece. Right. Looking across the EMEA region and going, okay, what are the challenges that network operators are facing today? And how are they set to transform in the coming years? So on a technology perspective, that's looking at the evolution to cloud networks, to cloudified IT systems, where are those workloads going to play? It could be business models. At the show no. this week, we've really been going, right, the, the consolidated telco, which has infrastructure right up through to services, that model is really starting to change, particularly within the region between tower sales, between netcos, including the active infrastructure yeah. like fiber or the radio access network. And then the new service models, whether that's new MBNOs, new digital sub-brands, new verticals, new enterprise services yeah. too. Cool. And that goes on to also bigger worldwide ranging topics from sustainability to customer experience to actually the talent, the skill set organization yeah. and reorganization within the telco industry. Okay, cool. So a broad church to yeah, say the least. Exactly, exactly. And there's a lot of broadness at the show this week, but what would you say specifically, and I, and I put this in the context of whenever you come away from MWC, mm. there's maybe one to three big things that stick with you. I know we're not at the end of the show yet, and you've probably got way more stuff to see, but up until this point, what, what's your biggest takeaway right now? So there's a little bit on that structural separation piece, but I think the other big takeaway has been around AI. Obviously, right. we had all the stuff coming up before the show around ChatGPT. Yeah. Uh, and also looking at where our telco is going to be positioned going forward, the need for more partner engagement models, and the metaverse is a, a key example of that. Yeah. But yeah. You don't have a telco doing the device. They don't have necessarily, they yeah. may do some of the software, obviously, with their own infrastructure and connectivity. Yeah. But they can't do it all themselves. Yeah. And that's really interesting because I'm with you. I think the generative AI and what OpenAI have done with ChatGPT is like the hot hype thing right yeah. now, right? But if we turn the clock back 12 months, mm. the hot hype thing you couldn't get away from was the metaverse, yeah. right? And that carried on throughout 2022. Where are we right now? In, in a nutshell, where are we with, with the metaverse? In a nutshell, I, it's a really interesting question. There's so many layers, and to be honest, even within IDC, within my own organization, probably as many uh, people as are on the fear today, there are as many opinions on where we are. Yeah. Is this overblown? Is it not overblown enough? Yeah. And there are different standpoints. If I'm being at my most cynical, yeah. I'd say we're kind of in this, this still definitions phase where yeah. lots of the bits which are really real and tangible today bits of that we're reclassifying other things which have been around for a while so look at AR VR devices they're not they didn't spring into existence yeah, yeah. last year yeah, yeah. but the kind of use cases we're talking about the expectations for the monetization models that uh, the places in the ecosystems that is maturing and changing Again, actually, just from working with one of my new colleagues, a uh, fantastic analyst called Masara Mohammed, who came into our team at the end of last year. Right. The discussions that she was generating with her perspective around metaverse, what does it mean from a younger generational standpoint, how they want to engage with the people, their peer group and globally. Yeah. That also kind of gave in the back of my mind a, a bit of a jump to say, hey, yes, 
yeah. it's hyped. There are yeah. elements of this. But take that long-term view, five, ten years, yeah. then there is going to be real change here. Yeah, and let's dive into that, because I was going to save that until a little later on in the conversation, but I'd like to get to that now, because to me, this is the most interesting part of metaverse adoption, if that's what you want to call it, whether it's which demographic cohort is going to drive this through. So Gen Z obviously is digital natives. We had the millenniums, uh, millennials before that, but it's the Gen X demographic cohort, which is people under 12, mm. right? And I'll give you my personal example. And this was something I talked about in Brazil on a metaverse panel back in October. You know, if we look at the, the Gen Zs, they were digital natives. Their whole life has been with the internet around them. They, they picked it up almost second nature because they were born into it, you know. But if we go to that, that demographic cohort, and I look at, I have four children. The eldest one is 12, all the way down to five. And during the pandemic, they would spend all day on their devices, in Google Classrooms, doing their education. Not an immersive education experience that we like to tout around and use it, but they were attuned and accustomed that from nine till 3.30, that was their window into education. Then at 3.30, they switched over to Roblox. So a 3D world that they inhabit as an avatar. And this is where they're then hanging out with the same kids pretty much and some more that they were just in Google Classrooms with. So there was this, tra there was this transition uh, into another environment. But the interesting thing I found about Roblox, the young demographic is one. I think 70% of the users are under the age of 13. But it was their willingness to use virtual currency, Robux, to purchase clothes, play games. They were having conversations with their friends. They were playing as if they were down the playground. So it occurred to me that all these, my four children and my five-year-old under the age of 12 were living, forced by the pandemic, in a virtual world, buying virtual goods with a kind of digital form of exchange. And it was completely normal for them. Whereas for me and my wife, we were looking at it like, how is this happening? So with that in mind, it's that demographic cohort that is geared up to adapt the metaverse once, as you say, we get through this definition phase, right, of whatever it is. Do you agree with that? Is, is that a valid... Um, I think it is a, a really great example of like, yeah, who, who would we naturally expect to be the, the really gung-ho people going Yeah. Out? But also, I think it, it also shows the real use cases today of what are the possibilities, not when your kids are growing up, starting to get into this, which might be in 10 years' time for the 12-year-old. Yeah. And let's say in 20, 25 years' time, they may be in an enterprise setting making big purchase decisions. Yeah. But actually, in the next five years. Yeah. I mean, just look back in how we communicate using that, that pan pandemic there. When I was, look back five years ago, 
and I was picking up the phone, doing my research with stakeholders around the industry, I was literally picking up a phone. It was yeah. a Cisco Dex phone. Yeah, I had yeah, my yeah. own hardware. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that has entirely gone. Yeah. In fact, even my... The Polycom VC, yeah, gone. Gone. Yeah, gone. Yeah, yeah. Even the work mobile I have on me today, it's actually yeah. only in this setting. Yeah, yeah. But it gets yeah. maximum use when I'm away from my desk, away yeah, from my yeah. laptop. Yeah. Whereas now, Teams, as you say, Google Classroom in yeah. your children's case. And I think there is still that sense that, yeah, it does the job. But we do want to make this experience better, the company roadmaps for yeah. teams and other applications. They're not going, we've done the job. They are also tasked with making this experience better. And that means yeah. getting more immersive characteristics, yeah. more 3D characteristics. So I think even for higher level demographics um, or older demographics, and I kind of sit on that right on that dividing line between uh, Gen Z and millennial. millennial. Right. Um, even if I'm not personally going, right, I want to see people in 3D all the time. Yeah. I think I almost by accident maybe by some of the roadmaps for these, uh, for these communication platforms, I'm going to end up in more of these immersive scenarios or, or metaverse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's going to be the next five yeah. years. Yeah. And it's behavioral. I'll just use one more example. The behavioral instincts when the metaverse hype started, it was the notion of people are buying real estate in the metaverse. Mm -hmm. You know, Walmart are building a store in the metaverse. You can buy Nike trainers in the metaverse. And it all seemed... You, you can buy phone contracts in the metaverse. Yeah. Orange, Spain, yeah. Telefonica. It, it, it seemed like a... And, but when you buy things that exist already, but it's a new mechanism to mm -hmm. purchase them is one thing. My... Eight-year-old daughter turned nine last mm. week, and the biggest request she had to her friends that attended her birthday party as her gift, as they do, was Robux gift cards. Yeah. And, and to her grandparents, no, don't send me cash. I don't want dollars. Give me Robux gift cards. And we were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Take the dollars, and you can buy yourself that nice mm. jacket you wanted from, from where. But she wanted to buy clothes in the, in the Roblox 3D environment mm. as opposed to physical goods. And that made me go, whoa. There's a, yeah. there's a mental shift there that mm. her buying pattern is around virtual products yeah. as opposed to, to tangible ones. I mean, it, but, but anyway, that, that, that aside, if we look at the, the evolution of the internet, mm where it seemed foreign at the time, for me anyway, in my yeah. demographic cohort, to type in a URL and then go to a text-based yeah. page for information. And then, obviously, as it evolved the internet, it became richer, video was embedded, da, 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 all the streaming and, and everything. The metaverse is, is, like you said, going through that definition right now, going through that. So, from a service provider perspective, mm. Where do they play? What are they doing? At this moment in time, we just talked about five years and maybe 10 years. Where are they and, 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 and where do they go? So I think this comes down to, again, mentioning that definition phase, but at IDC, we've been building this framework around what, what are the different buckets? What are the key value pillars? And that kind of gives us a little bit more of what we think telcos are going to play in. Yeah. But just start off with like just a, right at the center of it, and this goes, whatever you're thinking, 
trust and security, so elements around ID and authentication, and then also standards and protocols. Because right. As you kind of said there, this is all about collaboration. It, it's Roblox, it's Robux, but yeah. you also need the creators, the developers, to build the clothes. Yeah, yeah. For buying. Yeah. And if you look at the Metaverse Standards Forum, which Amdocs is a principal member, BT, yeah. Nokia, AWS, uh, Google, lots of players are getting involved in this space because they also see this change in graphics, yeah. this new monetization opportunity, because look, planet Earth is finite in some ways, but the Metaverse, an immersive world, a Roblox, yeah. that can build up and build up. From there, you go to six value pillars that we see. Right. This. The core one being infrastructure and connectivity. You need to connect people to this yeah. metaverse, and you need the data centers, the edge facilities, the content networks to actually be the digital plumbing to connect and engage on this, yeah. in this uh, immersive environment. And multiple immersive environments, yeah. uh, to be clear. Then you've got the devices themselves. What is the, going to be the physical interface with this? Whether that's AR um, glasses, VR, or VR holographic, um, holographic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also in this earlier stage, it is still things like smartphones, like laptops that you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, those form factors aren't just not, don't contribute. They, they are still part of this puzzle going yes. forwards. The next phase you're looking at, the interfaces and apps. So again, it's the software interface element. Uh, you've got the platform tools, so what is going to govern these spaces. Yeah. You've then got the creator tools, because as we say, we need people to come in and create. Yeah. And yeah. no one player is going to be the creator. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And then finally, you've got that kind of experience layer, but the actual virtual world building. So like you were saying of people yeah. building a, uh, a thing yeah. and then selling real estate. In fact, a, a former colleague I had went off and decided to you know what, I've enjoyed this, this analyst life, it's interesting. But I see an opportunity to join a startup and go on this growth journey where we will go and build virtual real estate and sell it off. Yeah. Telefonica acquired a company called Gamium last year, right. in 2022, which said they had managed to raise, I think, about a million dollars within 24 hours, 10 days yeah. from selling this virtual real estate. Yeah. And there is money to be had, there is value to be had. Yeah. But back to your question of where do service providers play? Yes, there's a connectivity piece and that infrastructure piece. And in many ways, it's kind of continue what they're doing. I mean, when I look at just their base business models, why in some way should they be excited about the metaverse yeah. and, and be thinking about this? It's because they can keep on doing what they're doing and it helps them monetize the investments they've already made. In Europe, we're currently going on the uh, EU directive by 2030, everyone should have a, a gigabit broadband yeah. connection or yeah. high availability of that. Yeah. Personally, in what applications do I use at home at the moment, I don't need a gigabit yeah, yeah. broadband yeah, connection. Yeah. Yeah. But if I'm getting into these more immersive experiences, if say my Microsoft Teams is now 3D, yeah, the yeah. amount of uh, download I need for the other yeah. participants in the call, the amount of uplink I need for just my yeah. own visual is so much more. And that drives monetization yeah. of the capacity and the services they're already building.
when we look at 5G mm. in the United States, despite all our speculation mm. over the years, the killer use case is connectivity. It's fixed wireless access. Mm. T-Mobile and Verizon are doing spectacularly well with their subscriber numbers in fixed wireless. But I believe, I think, the metaverse, and I don't want to call it a use case. It's mm. not. It's a constellation platform of everything could be the thing that makes 5G worth the investments that Verizon, AT&T put into C-Band and, and, and T-Mobile's 5G rollout. Because, like you said, it's the bandwidth, the high-speed 5G, it's the economics mm -hmm. and the power consumption that 5G makes way more efficient. It's the latency in the network. So if you're streaming, you know, I think the number is anything under 60 frames per second is going to make you nauseous. Yeah. The only way you can achieve 90 frames per second, which is a comfortable virtual experience, is with latency of under 5 milliseconds, which you can only do on 5G with it being streamed from the edge, right? So those, it's not just 5G, but the technologies that coalesce around 5G, edge, uh, blockchain, etc. Do you think those, it almost seems like, it's like a perfect, I hate using the analogy <laughs> perfect, it's overused, but they're coming together. It's like metaverse is the dream, the technologies are coming together to enable that dream almost simultaneously. I think so, there's the, the phrase, any technology which is kind of too complex is indistinguishable from magic. Yeah. And taking a step back, what we are seeing at IDC is, as you say, this convergence of technologies. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and outlining in that, that framework, again, metaverse is one of these areas where it does need a lot. Even just in that infrastructure connectivity, like you say, edge, 5G, you need the fiber backhaul for all of that, or the, yeah. the fiber broadband, or the FWA as well. So it is, in many ways, use case of, of why do we need this, the so what we have 5G. Yeah, 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 yeah. But also thinking back to some of the, the real tangible use cases for immersive use cases today. And back to, again, your, your children with uh, the e Google. Education. Yeah, education yeah, and yeah. training. And it's yeah. not just in schools. Yeah. It could also be in the enterprise sector, in universities. So a really clear example I actually heard this week was about, okay, I am a building contractor. Perhaps I've got teams working at height. One of the skyscrapers in New York or yeah. LA, and they're going, we don't want to put someone who's not had training up on the building and just say, oh, have you yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. So what is the most impactful way of training your people in a, from a safety point of view, yeah. from an effectiveness point of view, before they go up on those high buildings? Yeah it's going to be these immersive environments. And so the more immersive you can get, as you say, you're needing at least 16 frames per second, more yeah. ideally, because, yeah, definitely when you're working at height, you don't want to feel yeah, nauseous. Exactly. And, uh, well, mind you, if you kept the frame rate really low to induce the nausea, well, that might be a good training that, uh, uh, exercise. That has come up as well. Of oh, saying, really? Actually, you've got your safe space, right. and then uh, you drop someone. Right, yeah, uh, yeah. Because, again, Fear is a great motivator to learn and not do. Yes. Um, so there are all the, these different nuances for it. And training is something we did some research on last year. And again, we do see lots of different ways, not just in physical safety, 
but also in software engineering. I think AWS has released yeah. its own metaverse, its own virtual world training environment to try and incentivize and get people collaborating yeah. together. So it does come to this confluence of devices, but again, what I was going to talk about there, actually, we're probably in quite static learning environments. I'm in one location, your, your children are in one location, the teacher is in one location. Yeah, yeah. They're not very dynamic. So there needs to be this element of 5G availability, of edge compute availability, before we can think of that more dynamic use cases. Yes, yeah, so yeah, yeah, from yeah. a consumer perspective, let's say also device availability, that these relatively thin glasses, but thick uh, lenses I have on, right. instead were actually yeah. a, a set of AR glasses, yeah. where I could have just on one of the lenses, maybe it would pop up information. So yeah. it'd be Matt, I've yeah. met you for the first time today, but it, it would bup, remind bup, 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 bup. me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Liverpool supporter. Da, 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 yeah, <laughs> exactly, and, and you'd see I'd be a Bantam Bradford City uh, in return. <laughs> but you'd be able to do that, and let's say I'm going down the street, and I've got my, my shopping list of what I want to go and accomplish today. Yeah. And so, depending on additional service, it could be, well, this shop currently has that in stock. Yeah. So for me as a consumer, that's a great value driver. It kind of sharpens my experience, my, my time. It gives me a good outcome. I get to find what I want. Yeah. But also on the other side, from an enterprise perspective, that's a great new marketing channel. Yeah, yeah, being able yeah. to tap in. Yeah. So, look. To actually enable that, that's pretty complex. So you've got these other layers in the framework, from interfaces to devices, but that is a kind of more tangible thing which will just take more time. Yeah, yeah. So you touched on the hardware there. I came from a handset background before mm. I joined uh, Amdocs 10 years ago. So I was at Nokia, Motorola, and LG. Um, what, what's noticeable at this show is the absence of those traditional handset manufacturers. Many have, have exited the market. LG a year ago, one of the biggest consumer electronic giants in the world. Of course, you see Samsung. We know about Apple, etc. Who's the biggest innovator in hardware related to the metaverse? It's a tough one, but I, I, I'll let you answer, Chris. Yeah, I, I will admit that I am not the biggest device analyst out there. We've got our fantastic yeah. team who do a lot of this tracking, but in our metaverse research, we obviously engage with them and we also see telcos partnering with these device makers. Because also, this is another very simple business model where they can benefit from it. Because as you say, to your point around the handset providers, they already resell billion, I think it's about one and a half billion smartphones a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and this is just a continuation of that business model in terms of, okay. We'll subsidize it. We'll give it you in your monthly, yeah. Thing, you know. So, but to your question of who, who, so we're seeing Meta, you cannot get away, obviously. They change their name to, yeah, yeah, to bring yeah. in the Metaverse. Yeah. But we see Telefonica, we see, we see them actively going on through, forward with these device partnerships. To, so last year they launched right. MetaQuest 2, that becoming more available in additional markets. And yeah. the CSPs are a very important channel for that. Yes, yeah. Um, and as I mentioned, they've also, I think it's with uh, HL Tech, they've started doing their Vivaverse. Right. Um, which is their own little metaverse, but it, it's in partnership with that device. Yeah, yeah. Telefonica the other day were on stage with Qualcomm on the chip side part, because again, it, it's you need the chips yeah, which provide yeah, the software, yeah. which give the platform for the software developers to engage with the device and, and make the use cases. 
So there are these deeper partnerships coming, which telcos are getting involved with. Yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. Now, we're coming towards the end. There's one mm. final question on the metaverse. It's still a fascinating space. As we discussed, lots happening. We looked at the demographics. We looked at the networks. We looked at your six-pillar model. We've looked at the devices. And it all looks great, right? It's exciting. We can get excited about this. Everybody loves to talk about it. Are you considering the negative elements to mankind, if you will, of a fully prevalent metaverse world, a, a, a dystopian environment versus the utopian this is the, this is the dystopian yeah. uh, environment. This is Matt, the matrix. Sorry. This is the matrix. Uh, sorry, I, I found out that instead of talking to a human being, it is just on my. I'm IP. just going to tell you that was the twist at the end of this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I'm not here, right? No, you're, you're, yeah. I haven't. I, that handshake actually, it was just me getting haptic feedback. I, I'm, a, I'm a I'm a chat GBT driven droid from mm. Samsung. Yeah. Um, I mean, what do you think? It is an important consideration. And look, the, we've seen actually in just the big tech discussions over the last decade how it's gone from Facebook coming in of move fast and break things to um, yeah. maybe we should go a little bit slower and think of these consequences. But, but, but here's the, you just mentioned Facebook and we talked about the Meta yeah, rebrand. When, when it was in 2007 mm. when Facebook mm. arrived and social media took off, no, we all, everyone got excited about it, but no one ever considered the, po the potential negative externalities mm. that social media would throw yeah. up around the world. Do you think because of that experience and maybe because of mm. Facebook slash Meta's, you know, have gone all in on, on the Metaverse, are we more cognizant that there could be potential issues that we could address before they cause havoc, as it were. I think we are more cognizant, but also if I think of where I'm expecting, actually, metaverse immersive use cases to really draw up, I'm coming back to that training example. Right. Which, limited in scope, and expecting those can through, and there is a very clear benefit today. And also, in terms of who is going to be the purchaser of that, for your kids, Yes, there may be, a, because of the, the breadth of it, it there's a, a section of consumer purchasing power. But actually, if I'm the enterprise, it's me buying the devices, me buying the software. My employee doesn't have to do that. It's all positive. Yeah, it's all good. But so that I think for the next three to five years, because also, look, the devices are not in a democratized way. I think we, we saw those maybe around 40 million units shipped last year yeah. uh, versus one and a half billion smartphones. You're not, yeah, yeah. you're not at the same width. And it's the internet itself in terms of when it came to social media, boom, suddenly yeah, millions yeah, yeah, and millions, yeah, yeah. millions and yeah. it could really reach out. Metaverse, because it is so complex, because it relies on these different areas, like devices, like home connectivity. I think it has a slower acceleration pace yeah. before it kind of could really pop. Yeah. But that's a really good point. And this shows a bit of the nerd in me. Mm. When uh, Bell invented the telephone in the late 19th century, it took until the 1920s until mass use of the telephone in the roaring 20s. When Martin Cooper from Motorola invented the first, and he won a Lifetime Achievement Award or something this week, when he created the first mobile phone, mobile phone, the mobile phone boom didn't happen until the early noughties, right? Oh, yeah. So there was a, 40-year lag, mm. a 30-year lag, 
And then the mobile internet came around with the iPhone in 2007, which was pretty much around 10 years when mass internet usage really came in. Mm. So we, we go 40, 20, 10, Metaverse could be five, right? If we're, if we're using the Matt Roberts yeah. algorithm of mass adoption, and the only reason I've come to that number is because you've said, let's give it five years, it could be yeah. five years, we could see that mass adoption. So do you think in five years' time, we could see a fully democratized, yeah. the right word? Or I think, uh, personally, I don't think it would be five years' time. And uh, yes, I think the model goes that there will be significant progress in those five years. Yeah. But there's the element of one device availability, which we're still seeing the kind of average selling price of those being sky high. Yeah, yeah. And yes, that will come down over the next five years, but it would have to, there needs to be an inflection. And it could be in four years, could be in three years. Yeah. But also at the moment, we're in geopolitical new waters, which have it yeah, its own yeah, colouring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there, there are kind of elements of this stacked against it, just from a, a discretionary spend, a consumer, because consumer would make it really pop. Yeah, yeah. But you've also got enterprises. And you've also got that, like you talked about chipsets. There needs to be, like you said, the driving down of the bill of materials for yeah. the hardware. It needs to come way down in order for any democratization. And that's what happened with smartphones yeah. eventually and, and everything. But, but also, there, if I, if I yeah. take that point of it being a complex system and, and mentioning the Metaverse Standards Forum, that's got 1,800 members. Right. And that is eight, over 1,800 members from when it launched, I think it was last June or July in 2022. Yeah. Now, if you look at the mobile industry, 3GPP, which is decades old, yeah. has over 700 members. And right. at times it, it feels hard enough for them to agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if yeah, you're thinking yeah. of 1,800 members plus, and that, that's the tip of the iceberg for yeah, what this yeah, ecosystem yeah. could create. And coming to agreements on the standards and protocols, which need to be at the heart as well, also to, yeah. to ameliorate some of those negative impacts. Yeah, yeah. Then the complexity is, is mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you can't apply that simplicity of let's just make it cheaper, mm. get it out there. There's just too many other things to consider, right? Look, in terms of the immersive experiences, thing, basically we're going to have like lots of, it's not going to be like a flat, monolithic, yeah. this is where we go. There's going to be all these little pockets of innovation and popping yeah, on this yeah, and popping yeah, on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... For a, we're not going to get a big bang, is my, right. my gut feeling, certainly in the next five to ten years. Yeah. But if you look, take a step back and look at all those little pockets of innovation, then the sum of that could be pretty big. Or it could just be one of them that is so prominent mm. and impactful. Yeah. It, you know, you know it, it, it kind of leads the way and then they fall in behind it, right? Yeah. Whatever that, that may be. As I say, there is... You look to uh, everyone in this sphere, and there's probably that many plus one opinions on, on yeah. quite that way it's going to go. But that is at least my personal gut, gut feeling. But it's good. I mean, it's good. And I think why this is an interesting conversation is because we're looking further down the line. Mm. A lot of the conversations we have, we're, we're talking about right now, what's mm. happening, da 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 da. But that, that speculation forward on the, on the metaverse, negatives, positives, mm. I think is truly, truly uh, fascinating. So we're coming to the end now, Chris. Mm. Now, you, you, we talked about this before. We're going to talk about, this is the quick fire okay. TGI to go around. And what I'm going to do is basically ask you five 
with multiple choice questions, and okay. you just give me your preference. Okay. Okay, and then it helps our listeners understand a little bit more mm-hmm. about you. It's a nice, fun way to end the podcast. So, are you Super. ready? Ready as I'll ever be. Okay, right. TGI to go. TGI to go, question number one. You get to spend an extra day in Barcelona, if you want. <laughs> you may have had enough, you want to get home. Do you visit the Picasso Museum or the Gaudi Park, the Parc Guau? So last time I was here, I did both of them. Oh. But I think the Gaudi Park, it's just more open air. I have been in the theatre for a long time. I yeah. want to just be a bit more out in the outside. That's a, that's one of the best answers we've had because it's a standard question we've had all week. <laughs> Everyone was like, oh, no, 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 I'm just fed up. I'll just go to the Picasso Museum. We're in Barcelona. A cappuccino or a glass of cava? I'd have to go with a cava because on, on hot drinks, I drink tea like the clappers coming from Yorkshire in Northern England. So, <laughs> cappuccino. Oh. But you're British, so anything with alcohol in is probably going to exactly, be preferential. Exactly. Football or rugby? <sighs> See, I actually prefer hockey. I'm. I'm Ice hockey or uh, field hockey. Ah, uh, okay. So, but, yeah, but uh, okay. I, ice hockey. That's fine. A, a you push. can. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that was crazy. I, my five-year-old has just play, started playing hockey, ice mm. hockey, mm. in in Canada. But but you played hockey. Yeah. yeah so for many years, I played uh, field hockey in the UK at university. Growing up, since moving to London, I've unfortunately had to to let that slide a bit. But. I'm yeah. kind of going, I've got a, a half marathon lined up, another marathon next year. Once I've got those done, back into field. Oh, wow. Okay. So my next question, mountain biking or running? <laughs> running. It's yeah, got to be. You answered that gotta one Got to be. Got to be yeah. running. Uh, I was very late to learn actually how to ride a bike. So right. I'm quite happy to, to let yeah. that go. But you're doing, what did you say, two half marathons? So I did a, a half marathon last August. I've got another one booked to do in May. Right. And then the plan is, ride injuries and stuff don't don't happen, but sometime next year, I'll do a, a full marathon. Wow. Well, best of luck with that. That sounds Thank cool. You. And my final question, you're going out for dinner tonight. Mm. You have a choice of two dinner guests. Yes. It's Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg. Who do you sit down for dinner with? Oh. Now that's tough. Um, but I'm going to go for Elon. Yeah. Uh, I think he's got the, the wider portfolio of companies, so. Yeah. And when we talk, when we think our conversation was forward-looking, he's yeah. probably the most forward-looking person on the planet, right? Well, obviously, the biggest question is, when are we going to get to Mars? Exactly. I was going to say. <laughs> well, Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Do you have any last comments or something you would like to leave our listeners with before we close off today? Matt, thank you very much for having me. It's been a wonderful experience. I'd also just say, back to that, that main point around the many different partners, this space takes collaboration. And yeah. also for me at IDC, again, that research took collaboration from a global thought leadership team who are taking the metaverse as, as a whole and putting yeah. in place some of these frameworks. To also my colleague, Masara Mohammed, who unfortunately couldn't join us in Barcelona, right. but did fantastic work on this telco metaverse strategy. Well, report. maybe we can get her on the podcast yeah. when we go in the next season. That would be cool. That would be wonderful. Yeah. All right, mate. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, Pat. Take care. So I'd like to welcome our next guest at uh, the Great Indoors, MWC 2023. His name is Jeff Yee, 
He's the CEO of Airwave from San Francisco. So Jeff, welcome to The Great Indoors. Yeah, thank you and hello everyone. Yeah, thank you very much for joining us. Um, now before we get going, if you could just give us a little introduction of yourself, your history and Airwave and, and, and what that's all about. Yeah, um, in short, I'm a telecom veteran. I've uh, been around at uh, wireless carriers since the beginning of data uh, with AT&T. Yeah. Um, I've spent time at hardware manufacturers. That's a little bit about my background. But I'm the co-founder and CEO of Airwave, a marketplace that connects wireless operators with properties, we call them hosts, to be able to deploy their networks. And it's in particularly used for next generation 5G small cell networks. Right, okay, excellent, excellent. And um, what have you seen so far at the show? I know we're not anywhere near the end of the show yet. But at this show, there's always an underlying theme, an underlying message or, or something that you generally leave with. Mm -hmm. Is it too early or, or, or is there something that you're noticing that's very prominent and prevalent already? Well, I think you're probably asking what's the interesting technologies that I've seen. But you yeah. know, the first thing that, that shocked me was people back in action without masks on. Yes, that's that's, yeah, that's yeah, really yeah. the first thing I noticed at the show, yeah. which is very nice to see that, that we're sort of back to normal now. Yeah. Um, probably back to the question that you were asking, which is uh, technology. Yeah. It's, um, you know, now that we're a few years into 5G, of course I was here and, and before COVID shut down with uh, 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 MWC, there was a lot of just rolling out 5G. Now we're actually seeing the practical applications of it, um, and it's more than just phones. It's fun to walk around and see, you know, little dog robots and, and yes, other yeah, IoT yeah, devices. Yeah. So, yeah, 5G in, in action. It's awesome to see. It's here. We've, <laughs> we've talked about it for years. It's finally here. It is here. And what is it that you, and if we were to speculate even further, what is it you think that 5G will really usher in? Other than just the pure connectivity, what, what do you think it could, it could give us two, three years from now? So what... Well, from my perspective, what I'm already seeing is the yeah. growth of fixed wireless. Biggest well, use case right now for 5G. In the United States, it's absolutely cleaning up. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I realize maybe not in other markets yet, and there's reasons for that. But um, I, I think IoT is still coming. It's still trying to get, you know, what, what is the real big use case in 5G that generates revenue? There's a lot of things out there that it's fun, um, but we're not really seeing that growth yet. But fixed wireless, you're right, in the U.S. is, is absolutely ex exploding right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the first killer use case for 5G, fixed wireless access. And I think it's, it's outperformed most analyst expectations. What, what do you see would be the next one? And it, there's no prophesy or just speculating. What do you think could be the next big 5G use case? Now, like you said, it's here, it's in action. Yeah, I think um, uh, video, anything video from, um, yeah. I, I know everyone's talked about autonomous driving and associated that with 5G more for the latency. Yeah. Um, but in, in working with some of the car manufacturers, it's the heavy uh, bandwidth stuff, and that's video. It's capturing your surrounding area, yeah. up, uploading that. So I think that's actually a better use case for 5G is a massive amounts of data than yeah. talking about the lower latency. Okay. And let's talk about 5G in the context of connectivity and bridging the digital divide because when the pandemic hit the digital divide was amplified by a hundred x right it became clear that there was huge inequity in connection all over the world right and it, and it existed in every country in every pocket what are your views on how 5g or just connectivity in general can bridge the digital divide and what is it that Jeff, that Airwave does to help 
close that chasm. Yeah. Um, if you don't mind, I want to go back in time. I mentioned at the very beginning of this, yeah. uh, uh, my, my history uh, being with AT&T is, is really the first carrier to roll out wireless data. And one of the things that we did besides PocketNet, which was the first phone that connected uh, to the internet in the US, is, uh, is fixed wireless. Right. The problem that we never rolled out in, in the late 90s, in that particular case, 2000s, 2010s, it was always much slower than the, than the landline. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, if we go back in time, we're even comparing it to dial-up modems, but then cable modems. 5G is now fast enough that it's, it's broadband. Um, you really don't see that much of a difference from cable. That's why 5G is seeing success right now for, for fixed wireless. Right. So to, to solve the digital divide, I think, which was your question, yeah. um, since 5G is now fast enough and far cheaper to deploy than landlines, it can be used for, for the 4 billion people, half the world, that still does not have an internet connection to the home. Wireless yeah. is far cheaper. Yeah. Is, the, is 5G the optimal solution to bridge the digital divide? Is there more that can be done? For example, I've, I've interviewed people from all over the world, uh, all over the world uh, so far this week, and whilst the US is, I would say, the world leader in 5G deployment by a, by a, a long way, I spoke with the CEO of Globe yesterday, Ernest Koo, and it's a very different situation in the Philippines, right, as far as where they're rolling out 5G, or in South Africa, for example, or even in parts of, uh, of the developing world and the developed world where the 5G rollout is stuttering. Are there any other solutions that can lend themselves to solving that, that, that you see, other than just ubiquitous 5G connectivity? Sure, so fiber is being de deployed uh, everywhere because you still need fiber for the backhaul, even for the wireless. So on routes where you have fiber, it is more stable. I think people will choose fiber, you know, depends on costs and other considerations, but when you can, you probably choose something that's just gonna be more stable. Wireless is, is that last mile for many options um, uh, for homes, and, and uh, except for when you get into rural communities where it's, you're really spread out. Uh, and when you're really spread out, one or two homes uh, you know, uh, in, in a square mile, let's just say, I'm thinking some parts of the US, Montana, let's just say. Yeah. Satellite. Satellite is probably still the best option because even, even 5G might be too costly if you're, for, if you're really only doing just a few homes uh, in, a, in a cell sector. Yeah. What's your thoughts on satellite? I met up with a, with a, a friend, a colleague, the other night that I hadn't seen in years. And he's here at the show. And I said, w what are you here for? He said, we're looking 100% at satellite right now. We're really interested in, in what that can bring to rural areas and, and as a backup and as a fallback for, for emergency, etc. What's your view on the whole satellite? Because I think that was a hot thing, still a hot thing. It gets a little bit more sexiness and hype from people like Elon Musk with, uh, with everything he's doing. But what's your thoughts on the satellite revolution, if you will? Yeah, it has its place. As I mentioned, it's, it's ideal for some of those rural communities, but it comes down to cost and, and complexity cost to launch a satellite, far more than putting up a, a simple little a 5G small cell on, on somebody's rooftop. Yeah. Um, capacity, even if we were to try to cover the entire world, 8 billion people, how many satellites do you need, right? You, know, yeah. you get you know, a couple hundred simultaneous connections with the one satellite. That's a lot of satellites that have to go up into uh, low orbit. Um, you know, this, this, then how are we going to launch the, uh, the next you know, space shuttle yeah. rockets? I should say, yeah. space shuttle is outdated now. Um, it'd be a mess, right? You're kind of navigating between all these satellites. Yeah. So there's a number of considerations, um, but yeah, satellite certainly has its, yeah. its place. Yeah. And so tell me a little bit about Airwave then, Jeff, and what's unique about your proposition and, and what you guys are doing. Yeah, so from, let's go back to the, how the generations of wireless have been built. 
1G to 4G was a lot of towers, right? Everyone knows what towers. You walk, yeah, yeah. driving down the street and, and what's called macro cells. Um, 5G, in order to get the, the faster speeds, for, for those listening that want the wireless 101, there's, there's higher frequencies that, that allow you to get more bits and bytes, faster speeds. Higher frequencies um, have shorter ranges. So the problem with 5G is you need a lot of these cell sites. Um, now, the good news is that the equipment's gotten smaller. That's what we call 5G small cells. And uh, you don't have to deploy them just on big towers. They can be put on rooftops. So knowing that this problem was, was coming, I've been in, you know, working on 5G for yeah. many years, um, you know, my co-founder and I, we took a look at the model and said, you know what this looks like? It looks like two-sided marketplaces in other industries, such as Uber, right. rider driver application. That's a two-sided marketplace. Yeah. Um, Airbnb, more relevant for our industry, right? Because yeah. now you have a property owner matching it with a traveler, right? Yes, I've yeah. got an extra space in my house. I rent that room to somebody. All done online as a marketplace. So what we built is the uh, ability for property owners to say, look, I own this rooftop. I own land. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a wireless operator. It could be your mobile carrier. could also be fixed wireless operators. The internet service providers that are building out, and they need properties to be yeah. able to out internet service. So that's relating back to the digital divide. That's how we can build networks much faster to be ah. able to serve more people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always remember when I lived in England, and I, I, I don't think this is any sim similar, but I, my internet provider was BT, and they provided this service, because England is a very different density with houses. If you had a BT wireless internet router in the house, it was almost like they sliced or segregated an element of that router for BT subscribers. Mm -hmm. So I could walk from my office in West London all the way, you know, a kilometer up the road to Sainsbury's and my phone would be connecting to the different Wi-Fi routers that existed in people's homes. Yeah. But that could only exist in somewhere like England where the houses are much more close together. And by the way, the quality was terrible. I don't even think the proposition even exists now. But but what you're doing here is you're allowing people to monetize their real estate so you can deliver the connectivity, right? So yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a, a very different proposition. Exactly. And, and the use case of a mobile phone, as you mentioned, having to hop between homes as you walk down the road, yeah. is very different than a fixed wireless where I can find a building. Yeah. And depending on the frequency that that wireless operator is using, maybe it goes a half kilometer, yeah, yeah. maybe more, maybe less. And uh, you now all of a sudden we can have subscribers that yeah. are connected into that property. Yeah. And that's how to build out uh, fixed wireless internet much faster. If we can sign up a lot of these people that are willing to volunteer their yeah. rooftop space in, in exchange for mon monetizing it. So it's millimeter wave basically, is it? The we, we work with operators that might have many different frequencies. Actually, uh, the most common one for, for us is mid-band frequencies. Is like you know, like three, three, three point five gigahertz. Ah, right. But but uh, across the spectrum, those. It works across the spectrum. Yeah. Ah, it's really, really interesting. And so, what's next for Airwave then? How's it going? Where are you going next as a as an organization? Yeah. What, what's next for us is really geographic expansion. Started in the U.S., where we're rolling out right now in India. Oh, um, wow. I just came literally just from before the show from. Africa, where we're oh, wow. rolling out in West Africa specifically. Oh, wow. And um, yeah, we hope to roll out more countries in the next uh, year or two. Um, I have a personal focus to do a lot of the developing regions. Anything uh, maybe 50% broadband penetration or lower is prime markets for Airwave. And in, in, in response to our earlier discussion, when you're working in those parts of Africa, 
you're, you're building five four G right is as the fixed wireless access bearer, not five G. It depends on the country. Some countries in Africa, Nigeria, for example, already deploying five um, uh, G. Okay. Ghana, another example, is still on four G. So it really depends on the country. All right. Wow, that's really interesting. That's really interesting. So I've asked everybody this question this week. It's not kind of related to the digital divide, although it could be mm -hmm. technically. Uh, but it's something that I've noticed that's um, really interesting. It's a hyped up topic is generative AI, right? And chat GPT. What's, what are your thoughts on, on that? Because there's a big debate on the moral downsides of it, potential risks of it. There's a lot of you know, people gung ho about it, but then a lot of people that are also very worried. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I'm fascinated by it. I've right. used it many times. It's amazing to see the responses. Um, and I don't know if I should admit this on a podcast, but I've actually even used ChatGPT to write a lot of the blogs and the content on the oh, Airwave right. website. <laughs> no, it doesn't look as personal. But the second thing about ChatGPT, because you know my company is basically a software company, I was amazed at um, its ability to write code, right? You say, that, uh, can yeah, you build yeah, me something yeah, in this language yeah. that does this? It's, uh, yeah. um, I don't think it's going to replace all the software developers that, that um, my company has, but I think it's going to make them more efficient. Yeah. No, it's really cool. And it's, like I said, a year ago, it was the metaverse. Everybody was, but this year, one of the big talking points is the generative um, AI. Mm. Now, so if we, an another question looking into the future, 10 years from now, if we're back at this show having this discussion, what do you think will be the big topics? Well, 10 years from now, we're talking about 6G because that's basically, you know, every generation is a decade. Uh, what is 6G is probably going to be the question everyone's going to be asking, though. But I, I, I was in Sao Paulo in, um, back in October, and I interviewed the author uh, of a book on 6G and what it could, Paolo Ruffini, mm -hmm. uh, the gentleman's name was. And at the end of the discussion, I didn't see a huge delta between 5G and 6G. As far, but only maybe, okay, we'll get a little bit faster, there'll be you know, a little bit more capacity, but it, it doesn't seem as such a revolutionary or evolutionary jump that we're anticipating from 4G to 5G, right? That 6G will just be, okay, a more refined 5G. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I can't predict the use case yet. I yeah. think it's too early to tell. Um, the one thing I do know about 6G, though, is that governments are thinking about auctioning it off even more spectrum, but you know what, what available spectrum is there? Uh, it's, it's the higher frequencies, even higher than, than some of the ones we do uh, use today. You mentioned millimeter wave. Yeah. Um, those are all ones that require high you know, short density. It has to be very, very close together for, for these cell sites. So uh, one way or another, I know my company will be involved in it because we're going to need more properties. But what the use case is for 6G, I don't know yet. Yeah, because we're still figuring out the 5G use case. <laughs> yeah, probably. You know. Um, but I'm just interested to get people's thoughts because uh, a previous guest as well said, so whilst I love everything here, whilst I think generative AI is cool, whilst I, you know, agree that there's a push for tech for good and bridgeting, all the, all the topics that we're talking about, she said, the one thing I'm missing here that I think will be really uh, uh, prevalent in the next couple of years is robotics and drones. And I was like, I'm sure there used to be a drone exhibit or a drone section. But I thought that was interesting from, you know, but that's the hype cycle, right? We'll go from one thing to the other and, and who knows where we'll settle down. Yeah. Anyway, so Jeff, I'm gonna go into our TJ. This is our fun round. Now, these are fun questions as, as we come to the end. 
But this is the TGI to go round where it's, I'm going to ask you uh, a question with two, hyper, with, with two potential answers and you give me your preferred response. So like multiple choice on, on a hypothetical. Okay, just two choices. Just two choices. Okay. And you'll understand what I'm, I'm going on about in a bit. So, we're in, so here we go with TGI to go. TGI to go. We're in Barcelona. You have a day off, if that's possible. Do you go to the Picasso Museum or the Gaudi Park? Gaudi Park. Assuming, yeah. assuming the weather's nice. Assuming the weather's nice, exactly. And, and have you had any chance to uh, experience the delights of Barcelona yet? Or have you been... Oh, uh, on this flat? trip, no. Um, but in previous trips, yes. Yeah. Now, there's parties every night in Barcelona. I've, I've, unfortunately, I've been too busy to go to anything. But if someone was to put a dr offer you a drink, a typical Barcelona or Spanish drink, would you take the sangria or the cava? Sangria. Yeah. Have you had any sangria yet? No, not this, <laughs> not this trip. When you're back home, do you prefer yoga or hiking? Hiking. Do you do a lot of hiking in, uh, in I California? I do, and I don't think I've done yoga once. That was an easy answer. <laughs> On a culinary note, paella or tapas? Tapas. Yeah? I've, seen, I like, I've been eating tapas just like literally every night. Pretty ridiculous. And a lot of a lot of choices, a big variety with tapas. Yeah. Okay. And I, I like this one. And uh, if you're going out for dinner tonight in Barcelona, you're going to drink some sangria, you're going to eat some tapas. Would you take Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg with you? Uh, Zuckerberg. Yeah. Yeah. Why is that? I don't want to say anything negative against the, yeah. the former one, um, but yeah, I just choose Mark Zuckerberg. I think he's done great things with Facebook. And his sister, Randy Zuckerberg, was on the podcast with me. Oh, so she'll really dig that answer. <laughs> now, uh, so we're about to close. Jeff, pleasure to meet you. Thank you for being a part. Yeah, thank you. Um, have you any closing thoughts or comments you'd like to share with our listeners, maybe that we didn't touch on? Uh, no, I think we hit the relevant points, but just if I could, I'd just summarize. It's, um, yeah. uh, you know, for me personally, would love to see more people on the internet. Uh, I think 5G is a great way to do it. It's not the only way. Um, but if at the end, uh, you know, we've achieved a mission, whether it's um, a landline like fiber, whether yeah. it's wireless, whether you know, it's 5G or a satellite, um, let's just get more people uh, connected to the internet because I think overall a, a floating, uh, sorry, rising tide floats uh, all boats. Yeah, I think uh, living standards would improve. You know, the more people that get connected to the internet anywhere in the world, you see the direct and exponential effects on their living standards and the country's GDP and poverty rates it's only anything but positive right absolutely yeah. well thank you very much jeff yeah thanks so what a great episode thank you uh, guys for joining us really enjoyed speaking to both of you and stay in touch so stay tuned everyone not many more episodes in this season to go but they're certainly not to be missed please leave a review if you feel so inclined it certainly helps us and visit our website amdocs.com forward slash the great indoors where we have all back episodes and a plethora of assets related to tgi in fact check out the website to see our barcelona sizzle reel it's pretty cool actually if i don't mind saying so myself and all that's left to say is I'm Matthew Roberts for Amdocs in Barcelona, and I'll see you next time, wherever you are. <laughs>